Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode we're going to be talking about the upcoming divisional round in the NFL. I'm going to be ranking the eight remaining quarterbacks. You can probably have somewhat of a guess of the order I'm going to be putting those guys in, but there's also some surprises as well. Might offend some fan bases in here, but that's okay. I'm here for the controversy. Also going to be talking about a few things that happened in wildcard weekend. I'm not going to be covering every single game, but I am going to be talking about the implications of some games, what they can mean in the future for the teams. Uh, obviously, when I wrote this episode, Mike McCarthy, his future was definitely in the air. It sounds like he will be coming back as a Dallas Cowboys head coach. Still going to be talking about that team because obviously pretty historic collapse there. Not a lot of people, including myself, saw that one coming at all. Either way, uh, there will be timestamps located down below if you want to skip to your favorite segment. I'm hoping that I can stay as active as possible, still have one upload a week on this channel, but Heike, my schoolwork is really stressing me out this term. I've got a bunch of it. I'm taking four classes. It took full four classes last term, but the workload, the readings are just really adding up this term. So if I'm not uploading weekly anymore, especially, you know, once the Super Bowl comes and goes, once football season ends, maybe I'll take like a brief break. Even if I do that, hopefully the goal would be at least to be more active on Instagram, to be more active with you guys. I really enjoyed getting involved in on campus and interviewing a lot more people. Um, again, would be something I'd totally love to do continuing going forward, but school really does come first and school is low-key whooping my ass right now and it's only week two of my quarter. So only going to ramp up in the near future here. Again, I'll do my best to keep these uploads consistent. But again, you know, there's not too many of you guys listening to this. Just full, 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 being fully honest here. And um, this is more of a project for me. So again, I hope you guys do understand. Um, if you are listening to this, I really do appreciate it. And you know who you are. So I know who you are. Um, yeah, I appreciate you guys. Let's get into this episode. Again, timestamps located down below. Let's do it. All right, so for the first segment of today's episode, we're going to be ranking the eight remaining quarterbacks. This is probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode than usual. They've been pretty short as of recently. Again, mentioned in the intro, just had, I've had a ton of schoolwork. Hope you guys do understand. If you are listening to this, again, really appreciate you. Um, be sure to follow me over on Instagram at Murphy's League. I'm going to be getting a lot more active on there. Also, if you can hear my chair squeaking, sorry, I broke it today. It's being really fucking annoying. Um, yeah. Let's get into number eight of my list, ranking the remaining quarterbacks. No surprises here. I've got Baker Mayfield at number eight. Credit to him for what he's been doing this season, obviously leading the Bucs to the playoffs, obviously winning the division, playing well enough that he is more than likely going to be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer next year. Um, credit to him last week for having another great game. Obviously, everyone's kind of been having a great game against the Philadelphia Eagles, but nevertheless was able to take advantages of his opportunities, made the most of it, threw for over 300 yards, only the second Tampa Bay Buccaneer in playoff history to do that. Other one was Tom Brady, so he's in really good company there. You got to admit, I mean, <clears throat> love him or hate him, his energy is contagious and it's electric. When things are going really well, that's a player, you know, locker rooms can buy into. I'm sure that energy is contagious in the whole locker room. Um, I've always been a big fan of Baker Mayfield. I've always pulled for him. I just like his story. I like his attitude. I like the way he carries himself. Um, you know, again, when things aren't going so well, sometimes that can be obnoxious. Sometimes it can come off as cocky. But frankly, for me, it's it's confidence. And I really like, you know, a quarterback that can carry himself like that. He's got, you know, he's great in the interviews. He's clearly liked by a lot of these guys in the locker room. So at number eight, I've got Baker Mayfield. Number seven, we got Jared Goff. 
Um, I think he's more of a product of what's around him. I don't want to take anything too far away from him because he has, you know, made the most of his opportunities. And don't get me wrong, he is still a very solid quarterback, obviously throwing 30 touchdowns this year, second in the league in passing yards. Those are not bad numbers by any means. You know, they're really good numbers for most, but nothing is really, you know, going to wow you about his game. He doesn't have this elite accuracy. He doesn't have great arm strength. He's not overly athletic but he's been smart with the football for the most part you know 12 picks is not great but it could be a lot worse at the same time you know um he's not afraid to take shots when they're there again i think a lot of this credit has to be given to this coaching staff and what they've placed around him um a lot of his weapons obviously starts with Amara st brown and then it goes to the rookie tight end there sam laporta he's been fantastic all year long but fantastic offensive line pay fantastic running backs so again more of a product of the system around him, but he has consistently been good for the past three years for the Lions. Obviously won them their first playoff game in 32 years. So I have to give him credit where it's due. He comes in at number seven. This is where the controversy starts. And I think I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. Um, Niners fans, I'm really sorry, but Brock Purdy is my number six quarterback remaining in the playoffs. Yes, I do have five quarterbacks above him. I'm sorry about that. You guys probably know how I feel about Brock Purdy at this point. I think he's amazing. He's really accurate. He makes the right reads. He plays with great composure. He's just perfect for the Kyle Shanahan scheme and the fact that he takes care of the football and makes really good decisions because, frankly, that's all you really have to do in the system. You know, there's there's tons of guys. There's tons of talent around him. Not saying that he can't make, you know, pinpoint accurate throws because he absolutely can do that. He almost reminds me of Drew Brees a little bit in that regard where – not only can he play make a little bit and extend plays, which Drew was never the best at, but he just, well, is he so surgical with his reads? And again, in this system, it's an actually absolutely picture-perfect fit, but I'm going purely based off talent. This is really what this list is about. It's about talent. It's about, you know, future opportunities, all that kind of stuff. Brock Purdy, he's just limited physically, and sometimes he leaves the big play out there. That's really the one issue you consistently see pop up on film where he's taking – a check down instead of, you know, a big chunk play because either he doesn't trust his arm enough or frankly, he knows he can't get it there um, accurately and on time. Again, not to say that he's not an accurate quarterback, not to say that he doesn't make the right decisions because he absolutely does do those things. But there is a legit ceiling that he just cannot reach as my top five guys I have in, left in the playoffs because simply he's just not as physically talented. It's nothing against him. It's nothing against him as like a quarterback in terms of like the smarts or decision making. Again, that's not it. It's just purely physical tools. He can't do what the next five guys can do. At number five, I think it's no surprise, Jordan Love. Um, he has been on fire the past couple months. He was under a ton of scrutiny the first couple months of the season. Last eight weeks really turned it on. Seriously playing like as well as any quarterback in the entire league. You can basically put his numbers next to anyone. They're just as good as anyone else even the best of the best, even MVP Lamar Jackson. You compare his numbers from the last two months to Jordan Love's, they're really comparable. And honestly, his, he's been amazing. I got to give him credit where he's due. I've been sleeping on this guy a lot. And honestly, I think I was in denial about it mostly. I didn't want to admit how good he looked. But then he did what he did to the Cowboys at home. And keep in mind, the Cowboys have been not just one of. They have been by far and away the best home team in the league this year. I said it in my last episode. Their plus minus against the spread was easily first in the league. It wasn't even fucking close. 
Um, and so I thought, you know, this defense, this home crowd, they were going to go in there and suffocate Jordan Love. He was going to come back down to earth. And in fact, it was the exact opposite. It really was his coming out party for a lot of the national media. I think a lot of people didn't realize how good he was and how well he was playing. Some of the like just level of difficulty of these throws he was making was just absolutely absurd. It's the reason why he's a spot above Brock Purdy right now, because not only is he playing with good accuracy and good anticipation and making the right reads, the physical tools are absolutely there. He can do a lot more than Purdy in that sense where, you know, obviously it's getting compared to Aaron Rodgers. That's no surprise at all, but there's justification in those comparisons because when you're able to make some of the throws just with the flickier wrist that he's able to make, you know, without your feet being set with sometimes his feet being both feet being completely off the ground. I mean, it's just, extremely impressive to watch and as a bears fan it fucking sucks it hurts so bad but also as an unbiased fan of the sport and as someone who has a podcast you know you gotta sometimes put feelings aside and just state the facts and the matter of the fact is jordan love has been on fire best touchdown to interception ratio in the league over the past two months and not only is it just matt lafleur and his coaching staff and these young receivers who they themselves I deserve a lot of credit. Romeo Dobbs, I want to give him a shout out because he was torching any DB, whether it was Stephon Gilmore or Deron Bland, no matter who was lined up across from him. Uh, Romeo Dobbs was having a great game for himself this past weekend. Again, want to say that again because I was super high on him coming into the season and it just made me feel good. Either way, Jordan Love, got to give him credit where he's due. He's been fantastic. Don't want to take anything away from him just because, you know, his coaching staff and his weapons are doing well. You know, you got it. Got to give credit where it's due. You know, sometimes you're only as good as what's around you. And Jordan Love has been absolutely fantastic. So he's my number five quarterback. Number four, CJ Stroud. I mean, this dude is great beyond his years. We've already all heard the stats. I don't really know what else you need me to say. He led the league in touchdown interception ratio, passing yards per game as a rookie. I don't think that's ever been done before. The only other two guys to do that in NFL history were Joe Montana and Tom Brady. It's just absurd what he's been able to do. Again, great beyond his years really playing like an NFL vet out there. Same deal with Jordan Love and Brock Purdy, but he's almost the best of both worlds, those guys, where he's consistently shown the ability to make the right reads all year long and you know not put the ball in harm's way, which is a really, really big deal to me. And he also has the physical tools where he can absolutely sling the rock. You know, He can throw dimes, he can throw bullets. Um, so he's kind of the best of both worlds of those guys where he's taking care of the ball, He's accurate in the intermediate, but he also is knows when to be aggressive, knows when to take the shot downfield, and most of the time, he's very smart about it and ends up paying off. At number three, again, this might be a little bit controversial because he has been hot recently. Josh Allen, not as established as these next two guys, but still has played at an elite level in the playoffs before, obviously tends to run into Patrick Mahomes, and that's where the story normally ends. Could be different this weekend. Well, I'll get to that once I get to that. But either way, number three, Josh Allen. Number two, Lamar Jackson. Only guy other than Mahomes that's won an MVP. Um, again, going to win an MVP this year, playing at an elite level all year long. Um, you know, his team is great around him. His defense has been great. His rushing offense has been fantastic. But, hey, it's just the same with these last few guys I mentioned. You're only as good as what's around you. He can't help that he has a lot of good weapons to throw to in his run games elite. Lamar Jackson, MVP of the league, but still my number two quarterback in the playoffs. My number one, I mean, come on now, it's Patrick Mahomes. Come on. Only guy on this entire list that's won it all before. Not only has he done it once, but he's done it twice, going for three now. Um, you know, we've seen him done it, do it before. Excuse me, done it. We've seen him do it before 
many of times. Uh, he's one of the most clutch quarterbacks in the entire history of the NFL, not just in the league today, but in the history of the NFL. Um, he's been extremely clutch. Obviously, 13 seconds debacle a couple years ago in the divisional round. Possibly could see something similar play out this weekend. But either way, not going to count out Mahomes. This is purely off, you know, talent and what we've seen them do before. He's very, very established. Patrick Mahomes, number one quarterback in the playoff picture. Let's move on to some implications from wildcard weekend. All right. So going back to wildcard weekend, moving backwards a little bit. Again, not going to cover every team, not going to cover every game. Sorry about my squeaky ass chair. But let's talk. Oh, shit. I just dropped something bad. It's okay. I'll pick it up later. Um, Okay. Let's talk about a couple teams. Took we games before I get into the uh, divisional round. First off, obviously got to start with, excuse me, Packers, Cowboys, simply because, you know, everyone's been talking about this game. It was easily the most talked about game from this past weekend, um, purely because the Cowboys did it again. They tend to get to the spot in the playoffs. You know, I would have thought they would have made it past the wild card round, but nevertheless, they – do not fail to disappoint in the playoffs. Uh, if you're a genuine Cowboys fan, I mean, fuck. I don't know what's worse, having a team that's just shit and never makes the playoffs or having a team that you think might win the Super Bowl every single year and then finds a way to choke. I would think it would still suck more to have a team that just absolutely blows and never even gives you any sort of hope. But I got to say, the false hope you get from, a Cow- from being a Cowboys fan each and every single year, that must suck. That must really suck. And I think – the question becomes, you know, who's going to be the scapegoat for the Dallas Cowboys? Because, frankly, nothing – God, this fucking chair. I might just stand up and do this. I'm going to – you know what? I'm going to do that. Bear with me here. Um, I'm, I'm going to pace around the room as I just read my monologue on my laptop. Either way, uh, Packers-Cowboys, I think the first question obviously has to become who's going to be the scapegoat for the Dallas Cowboys? You know, I think a lot of people were expecting it to be Mike McCarthy. Sounding like he's going to keep his job there. Sounding like they're not going to move on from him. Very surprised about that decision simply because they've gone 12 and 5 the last three years. Obviously, won the division this past year against the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, going head to head, kind of coming down to the last bit there. But my point is, you know, with a team with this much pressure, with this much expectation, obviously being America's team, I really thought that the head head coach was going to be out. And I don't know where they shift the blame at this point, you know, because Dan Quinn, uh, he's been fantastic all year long. Their defense has been lights out you know, has been able to make low-level name guys into some superstars like a Deron Bland. Um, Trayvon Diggs obviously came out of college as a second-round pick, but it's not like everyone knew exactly who he was, that he quickly became a fan favorite and an all-pro before long. But I don't know if you let go of him because he's already getting, you know, candidacy elsewhere as a head coach. So he's probably going to be walking anyways. Um, Again, I really don't know where you shift the blame to because – most of the time when there are, you know, catastrophic losses like this, there is someone placed as a scapegoat. And frankly, I don't know if they're making a bad decision in keeping McCarthy, but I don't know if they're making the right one either. You know, it's it's tough because they're winning seasons, they're doing well, and it's just tends to be a trend that they get to the playoffs and they can't pull through. So again, pretty surprised by the decision to keep Mike McCarthy. It just feels like something Jerry Jones wouldn't want to do. But Either way, let's look. Let's shift focus and let's talk about uh, Green Bay's first drive of the game. Because again, I don't want to take 
anything away from Jordan Love and Aaron Jones just because the Cowboys choked this game away. Because don't get me wrong, the Cowboys looked ass, especially their DBs. Deron Bland, Stephon Gilmore had a really, really rough game in this one, especially against Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs was torching them on basically every single play. Um, but again, I don't want to take anything away from Jordan Love, Aaron Jones, these receivers, because, hey, they're just doing what they're told. They're making the most of the opportunities, and Matt LaFleur had an absolutely fantastic game calling the plays on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, everything was working. Everything was working. It really was a beautiful game plan. Got to give them a ton of credit. The execution was absolutely on point. Not only were receivers constantly flying open against leverages that maybe always weren't the most favorable, but schematically speaking, Aaron Jones was constantly running through gaping holes. The run blocking was fantastic. Pass blocking was pretty damn good for the most part. Um, again, Jordan deserves some credit there because he was finding ways to extend plays and avoid the pass rush and, you know, waiting for plays when they did come open. But at the same time, he didn't take a single sack. There were no blown assignments. There was no like, oh God, missed this blitzer. He's going to get bl blown up from the blind side. None of that. There was none of that. Micah Parsons really didn't take over this game. Demarcus Lawrence had a little bit of some flashes beginning the game, you know, stopping the run wise. But again, Offensively, the pass rush really did not affect the game plan whatsoever. And, I mean, to sidetrack a little bit, Jordan Love to get back to him creating plays and, you know, working outside the pocket at times or just extending plays within the pocket, manipulating the pocket, that was the most impressive aspect of the game for me, at least from his point of view. Um, obviously, a lot of things went right just entirely. Their defense had a pick six, uh, had two picks in total. They had a few sacks against Dak. Um, but offensively, Jordan was fantastic. He was pretty much mistake-free. I think he only had like one or two misses the entire game. Um, and then as far as just extending plays, it was extremely impressive, keeping his eyes downfield. You know, the threat of using his legs, because he is an athletic guy, you know, you've got to respect that aspect of his game. But he was always keeping his eyes downfield. He was always looking for the better play. And a lot of times it ended up working out for him. So put it all together, you know, you're not going to get 48 points unless you're calling a great game and the defense causes some turnovers. And, you know, that's exactly what happened in this game. The Dallas Cowboys, you know, Dak deserves a ton of blame for putting the ball in harm's way consistently. One of them being that pick six. If you go watch that again, he was staring down CeeDee Lamb the entire time. That is just not something you can do as a veteran quarterback, especially when, you know, everyone knows where the ball is going on that situation. It was third down. Um, CeeDee Lamb is the go-to guy in this offense. Just, yeah, just don't stare him down. It's it's really, you know, it's I'm not in the locker room. I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, it's that simple. And But at the same time, it kind of is that simple. You've been in the league long enough to this point where you should know that DBs can read your eyes very, very easily. It wasn't even a moment of hesitation in the DB. The second the ball was snapped, he was practically already breaking on CD Lamb, already at least drifting towards that side of the line of scrimmage. And then before you know it, he just cut the route, picked him off, easy pick six. It was just way, way, way too easy. And again, the execution was just terrible in that play. So super easy to avoid that mistake. Um, and again, way too easy, way too easy. So the blame really should be placed everywhere for the Cowboys. Ultimately, I believe Mike McCarthy should be going, um, but it doesn't sound like he is. Again, I'm not making decisions over there. Very surprised by that. Just doesn't seem like a Jerry Jones type of move feels like someone he would want to move on from um but either way blame has to be pointed in all directions mike mccarthy deserves blame dan quinn deserves blame 
Dak Prescott deserves blame. These cornerbacks in Deron Bland and Stephon Gilmore deserve a lot of blame because those dudes played like shit. Micah Parsons deserves blame. I mean, fucking point fingers everywhere because this was a total team blunder. And as for the Packers side, just to close things up on this game really quick, their future is obnoxiously bright. Like I'm talking those lights when you wake up in the morning and you're kind of hungover and you like, you just like, fuck, like fucking, are my blinds open? It's like, damn, no, they're not. It's like, what is that? That's this. I hate how good this team looked this weekend. And honestly, to close out the season, they just looked fantastic. And they're the youngest team in the league. They've got a really, really good head coach in Matt LaFleur. Looks like they have another franchise quarterback in Jordan Love. They've got tons, and I mean tons, of young weapons to play around with. Jaden Reed didn't even get a touch in this game. He's been fantastic all season long for them. Christian Watson is someone who's basically been completely forgotten about because of the emergence of Jaden Reed and Romeo Dobbs and um, not Musgrave, Tucker Craft, but they also have Musgrave. So my point is there is a plethora of young weapons at their disposal on top of you know, a good running game led by Aaron Jones. So, oh man, I just, I hate to say it, but the Packers looking like they're going to be on top of the North for a long time to come here. Such a well-run organization. And again, their future is obnoxiously bright, especially being a Bears fan. Can't really stand it. Up next, a couple more teams I want to talk about before I get into my divisional round preview. Next up, Eagles. So I think the biggest question is what now, what direction, Excuse me. Do they go in? How do they go about? Now, obviously, you don't expect this team to go into a full rebuild. Um, there's still, you know, questions up in the air of some guys that may or may not come back. Obviously, the one leading the way there, Jason Kelsey. Um, I don't expect him to retire, frankly, just because I think this season is going to leave a bad taste in his mouth. And frankly, I, you know, have always been one that says like, okay, don't push it so far where you're a shell of yourself by the time you retire. But frankly, I don't see that being the case next year with Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey made a first-team All-Pro. And granted, maybe he shouldn't have, and maybe he made it because of the name brand. Tyler Linderbaum probably should have made it over him. But regardless, he's still an excellent player in this league. And again, I really don't think he wants to go out on this kind of note. If he does end up retiring, I'm not necessarily going to be surprised. Um, But I'm also not going to be surprised at all if he ends up coming back. So... That's just one piece of the puzzle. Other than that, it's I think Nick Sirianni is going to stay, but they need to be more aggressive and looking for a new defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator. So it's basically a complete rehaul of the coaching staff outside of the head coach. I think this locker room likes Nick. Um, you know, Nick's done really good things for them. They were there um, through a lot of this rebuild. He also is just like kind of an embodiment of Philadelphia in general. I've said this before, but I like his attitude. I like the way he carries himself. I think the media likes him for the most part. Obviously, historic collapse to end this season, but I don't think that's entirely his fault. You know, they dealt with a lot of issues, especially coordinator-wise. Sean Desai was not getting it done at the beginning of the year as defensive coordinator. Matt Patricia came in and sounded like there was, you know, not a lot of love for him in the locker room. A lot of the players had some criticism about him. Um, Sounded like... He was just overcomplicating this defensive scheme. And then offensively, it was just way too basic, way too predictable. Um, Brett Coleman did a great video on this. If you haven't seen that already, go check it out. It's basically explaining that the Eagles are running like the most simple offense in the NFL. And a lot of their play calling is extremely predictable. A lot of their play calling was extremely outdated and almost like high school oriented. So again, I think 
there's still a lot to like for this team. I obviously love the personnel of this team. You know, it's still a very similar core to what uh, the team that won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. So I think there's still a lot to build off of. I think the only position you directly need to address a change in at this moment would be the cornerback room, which is really ironic because that really was a huge part of their um, Super Bowl run a couple years ago. The level that which... Darius Slay and James Bradbury were playing at really helped them excel and go to the next level. But these dudes aged out quick. And I mean quick. James Bradbury was literally benched at certain parts of the game last week because of his tackling efforts. Darius Slay has been getting torched for the past month or two. Again, some of that might be, you know, confusion in scheme and confusion of assignments. And that definitely happens when you have rotating coordinators. But frankly, I, they just didn't look as good. I, I turn on the film and they're not as sticky on some of these DBs or on some of these receivers, excuse me. Um, it doesn't look like they trust some of the other teammates. So again, some of that might be having, sorry if you could hear that, some of that might be having to do with just continuity and lack of continuity more so. Um, obviously, Kevin Byard coming in the midseason. And then name-wise, when you got Kevin Byard, Darius Slay, and James Bradbury back there, and they are just frankly shitting the bed the way they are um you know that's too much money that's too many names go get what you can for them rehaul the secondary i think it's going to be a big focus in their draft it already kind of was this past year sydney brown you know had some really good moments for them he's a great athlete had a pick six in that game against um arizona and then they also got eli ricks you know a few other guys in there i can't remember fucking it's that kid from georgia's name um eli ricks was getting more snaps over him God damn it. Keely Ringo. So again, they've done a little bit of rehauling in that secondary. I think we're going to see a lot more of that this offseason. I don't know exactly what they do with James Bradbury or Darius Slay. I'm just, I'm certain those guys are still under contract. I don't have exact figures in front of me right now, but don't be surprised if both, if one of, or both of those guys are out by this time. Um, I shouldn't say by this time next year, because you know, they're definitely going to be out by then, but before the draft or something like that, don't be surprised if that ends up happening. Um, you have to think this team should be able to bounce back, but again, they need a lot. They need a lot of fixing. Also worth mentioning, their offense went 0-11 on third and fourth down the other day. Um, again, give some credit to Todd Bowles in this defense. He knows how to dial it up. He knows how to dial up blitzes and consistent pressure. Uh, that's exactly what you saw from Jalen Hurts. He was under pressure a shit ton in this game. Uh, again, play calling did him no favors in that regard, but got to be better. Got to get better than that. I think the Eagles... You know, personnel-wise, might look pretty similar. They're going to rehaul this whole coaching staff. I'm not going to be surprised by that at all. Let's talk about Cleveland really quick. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about this. I've got one more team after this I want to talk about, but these two teams are not going to take much time at all. Cleveland, well, the carriage turned back into a pumpkin. It really was too bad. I was rooting for them. I thought it was a really cool story. would have been dope to see Joe Flacco go back into Baltimore. No complaints, though. I'm not complaining. I just didn't think the Texans were going to get it done. And, hey, they did it. Awesome. Good for them. You know, they, even if they didn't beat Cleveland that weekend, it would have been a crazy successful season for Houston. The fact that they're moving on and going to the divisional round is extremely impressive. But to go back to Cleveland, so obviously that's what this segment's about. You know, Houston's still in the playoffs, so they'll get their shine in a second. Um, Flacco's turnovers finally caught up with them. And CJ was on point per usual in that game. Even beyond that, though, their defense didn't play up to their standard. They didn't have a single sack in this game. Miles Garrett was largely shut down. 
by Laramie Tunsil. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa was really the one guy that looked like, whoa, this could be an all-pro level player. Other than that, I mean, just some of their players were not playing up to their stands- standard. You know, Denzel Ward not doing enough. Um, some of their standout DBs, other than that, again, just not up to their standard, not up to their level of play. Their pass rush was not getting home at all. So that didn't help in the slightest. But then again, when your quarterback's throwing two pick sixes, it's really, really hard to win a football game. Um, it's just this was an overall just lack of execution by the team. And honestly, D'Amico Ryan's kind of outcoached Kevin Stefanski, frankly. I thought, you know, I've been saying this for a couple weeks now. I think that Cleveland needed to bring the ball on the ground more. They needed to stop asking Joe to pass the ball so much. And I get that he has had, had excuse me, has had some incredible moments. But at the same time, it's just a volume game. When you're throwing the ball that many times, he was leading the league in picks for the time he was a starter. It caught up to him. That's just could have been, you know, predicted, could have been seen out. And in perspective, in hindsight, more like I wish I could have seen that coming because obviously picks, you know, turnovers are generally going to be one of the, you know, the biggest factors in who's going to win a football game. If you win the turnover battle, you're more than likely going to win the football game. Um, you know, two pick sixes that's almost impossible to overcome. So I'm not saying that you could have predicted the two pick sixes coming, but I am saying that you definitely could have seen Flacco, you know, putting the ball in harm's way. I just thought this Cleveland defense was going to be the difference makers in this one. I thought they were going to, you know, find that, uh, you know, that middling space and kind of make up for the gap of Flacco and his possible turnovers. But when you're, you know, when you're throwing two pick sixes and your defense is also not stepping up like you would expect them to, that's, you know, it's going to turn into a blowout, and that's exactly what happened. So credit Cleveland um, to – or sorry, credit Houston. Sorry about that. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's really all I'll say about that game. I just looked over my notes. and Sorry, I'm, like, pacing around the room, so I'm not exactly reading off my page like I normally do. But I feel like this is kind of good. I kind of like walking around and keeping my mind going. Up next, good for the Lions. I mean, that's, all, that's honestly all I really want to say about this team. Uh, just the first playoff win in 32 years. I'm sure you guys have heard it a million times. Um, they trusted the process. Dan Campbell obviously had a very rough start to his career there in, uh, I almost said Houston, in Detroit, as well as Jared Goff. You know that both those guys came in at the same time together. They established a culture, uh, went through some crazy hard adversity. Um, you know, I'll never forget that first win they had that season where they beat Minnesota on a last second play. Looked like they fucking won the Super Bowl in that one. Um, yeah, I mean, that was just, again, it's just a cool story. Dan Campbell obviously being a former Lion himself, being a part of that team that went 0-16 to flipping that on its head and now, you know, helping Detroit win their first playoff game in 32 years just as a storyline. I mean, it's got to, you know, it's so cool. Even if, you know, I don't know how you can hate the Lions. I don't think any fan of an NFC North team even hates the Lions because it's just hard to hate a team that's been this bad for this long. Great to see them have some success. And again, the way they did it was super impressive in the fact that they established a culture. Dan Campbell came in, had a, went through a ton of adversity as well as Jared Goff. Jared Goff obviously playing his former team. I'm sure there was a lot of emotions going on there. Looked like, you know, maybe it was going to go out of reach and the Rams were going to claw back and find a way to win that one despite basically, you know, not being in control the entire game. But Detroit was able to do just enough, close the game out. I want to give credit to David Montgomery because he feels like a guy that's just been slept on 
honestly, ever since he's been in the league, he's been absolutely fantastic. He was great for the Chicago Bears um, for the you know four years or however long he was. I think it was four years he was playing there, and he's been a big, big part of Detroit of the Detroit Lions' success. That first down he got with only a couple minutes in the game really helped seal the deal and put the stamp on it for the Detroit Lions. So credit David Montgomery. Let's move on to the divisional round preview. How long? Damn, I've been pacing around for 20 minutes. All right, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Okay, my divisional round preview. Packers versus Niners. Let's start right there. Come on, Niners. Come on, baby. Jordan Love coming off the best game of his career. Obviously, the question is becoming, can he keep it going? Um, because if he will and if he can, you know, that's going to be the only way Green Bay has any chance. We obviously know how talented San Francisco is. Um, they're the second favorite to win the Super Bowl for a reason. You know, no surprise at all. Um, now with the Cowboys out, you would think that they're pretty much by far and away the best team left in the conference. Um, but either way, we know how good San Francisco is. Four guys on the first team, all pro. First what am I trying to say? All pro first team. There we go. Two more on the second team. So obviously one of, if not the most talented roster in all the league. Um, we've been saying that for some time now. This isn't any news whatsoever. Um, still nine and a half points for how well the Packers have been playing the past couple months. Feels like a lot, um, especially if they find a way. You know, if we see what happens against Dallas happen in this game, where I what I mean by that is if you know, Green Bay starts with the ball or maybe San Francisco defers to Green Bay. They start with the ball, immediately drive down, get a touchdown, and then find a way, if this is possible, to find a way to get a three and out and then score again. Suddenly it's 14 nothing. That could drastically change things in this game because that's a situation that simply the Niners have not dealt with a whole lot this year. It's a very rare occurrence for them that they're ever down at all. And when we have seen them go down in some of these games, you know, it's not the best for them. Their, their script changes. You know, Kyle Shanahan not used to being down because they're just so damn good. They're used to being able to, you know, call whatever plays they want. They're not used to having to having to pass the ball more, to have to play catch up. And that could seriously affect the game plan. Obviously, you never know. Maybe they go up 14 nothing, and none of it matters. They just continue to run their script, uh, abuse Christian McCaffrey. And they get a turnover eventually. And next thing you know, it's 14-14. Next thing you know, halftime, 21-14, blah, blah, blah. You never know. But, I'm, but I, I will say, if the Packers have any sort of chance, that would be a feasible way of seeing it happen. And I'm not saying that's the only way they're going to win. You know, if weirder shit happens, there's tons of unpredictable shit in the sport. Obviously, these guys are professional athletes. The margin is so close. It's like splitting hairs. I mean, there's a reason why any given Sunday, anything can happen. Um, obviously example a of that was the Packers last week but I mean there is something to be said about game scripts there is something to be said about where they're playing and how they're comfortable playing and the Niners are frankly just not comfortable playing from behind so if the Packers can establish themselves early you know take a lead early it might throw off the Niners game plan and they just might have a chance but with all that being said I mean Fuck, I hope they don't. Uh, I really, really hope that San Francisco just dominates from the start. I really hope that Jordan Love comes back down to earth a little bit. I really hope that, you know, he proves that maybe last week was a little bit of a fluke, even though it definitely wasn't. You know, he's going to be a great quarterback in this league. I'm pretty much convinced of that. You know, I wasn't fully convinced after the first seven weeks or so of the season, but ever since then, I mean, he's he's fantastic. And 
the way Matt LaFleur is calling these game plans right now, the way he is coaching these guys up, again, I think nine and a half points is a lot. I get why it's that far. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan coming off a bye week. You'd be surprised. I actually looked it up. Coming off a bye, he's only nine and seven. Or no, that was Harbaugh. Forgot what he was. He's one of the better coaches coming off a bye, is my point. And now that they're well-rested, they're at home. Um, there's just a difference in talent. Uh, again, I said it last week, <laughs> and it ended up biting me in the ass. I thought that Jordan Love was going to come back down to earth a little bit against a really good team at home. I was a week too soon. I think he does it this week, and I think San Francisco ends up winning 30-23. to 23. Um, But again, I think Jordan Love shows a lot of promise in this one. Up next, Lions versus Bucks. Hard not to root for both of these teams just because the underdog story is going on in both of them. Obviously, Baker Mayfield mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of him um, just as a person. I love his story. I think it's really cool what he's been able to do. You know, from being on four different teams, you know, being on the Rams, uh, going to Carolina, obviously misusing him. Carolina just itself is not a good franchise, at least not yet. You know, hopefully they turn find a way to turn that around. And then going into Tampa, leading them to the playoffs and winning a playoff game for him. Um, just a great story. And then, of course, Jared Goff, you know, going to L.A., having some fantastic seasons there, making a Super Bowl with them, not able to get it done, losing in that game, and then eventually getting traded out to Detroit where his former team wins the Super Bowl in his first year without him. Now he gets the last laugh, or maybe not exactly the last laugh, but <laughs> he gets back at them, knocks them out of the playoffs, and wins a playoff game for his team for the first time in 32 years. So, again, just as a storyline, Awesome stuff going on in this game. But Baker earned himself at least one more year in Tampa Bay. Um, Goff, in the words of the Lions fans, is the king of Detroit. So, again, lots to root for. Um, from the Bucks' point of view, they're essentially playing with house money. They've really got nothing to lose. I think a lot of people, maybe even themselves, weren't exactly expecting to be in this position. You know, if you told me a couple months ago, oh, yeah, the Bucks are going to win a playoff game, they're going to be in the divisional round, I'd be like, yeah, right. So, again, they're playing with house money at this point. Re weren't really expecting to be here. Um, Detroit, on the other hand, you know, they have a lot of pressure on themselves now. You know, they the expectation was to win a playoff game. The expectation has now been succeeded. And now it's like, what can you do beyond that? Can we win a Super Bowl? Can we be the t best team in the NFC? Can we prove that we are legitimate contenders and we're not just a fun storyline? And for me, you know, you might think, oh, the pressure's off of them. Uh, 32 years, they already broke the street. Um Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe they feel a little bit more relaxed. Maybe they caught, caught sleeping a little bit. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, and I'm not saying that's what they're thinking because, frankly, I don't think it is. But there's definitely an argument to be made there where the Bucks are just playing so free and have nothing to lose, and the Lions have you know the entire world watching them. Oh, my God, can this team get it done? This team is normally so ass. They're not so ass. Are they going to keep it going? So, again, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's a terrible take. Let me know what you think about it. Um, that's just how I kind of see it from this point of view. And, you know, as far as the X's and O's of the game, I think it starts with on the Bucks side of the ball, can they do what they did to Jalen Hurts? Where can they dial up consistent pressure? Can they make Goff uncomfortable? Goff, obviously, very much a pocket passer. He's not a very mobile quarterback. That's not news at all. Um, mobile passers, especially pressure up the middle, really tends to get to those guys. Todd Bowles, known for his creative blitzes, known for his defensive schemes. Can he dial up consistent pressure against Jared Goff? Can he kind of throw him off his game? Can he give, you know, 
his offense a chance to take good um, – what am I trying to say? Field position in this one. I forgot the term for a second. Um, that, you know, I think that's going to be the biggest X factor from the Bucks' point of view. If you're looking at it from the Lions' point of view, I think the biggest component of this one is can their defense, especially their secondary, slow down. Sorry if you can hear the motorcycle outside my window. Can their defense slow down Baker Mayfield and these weapons on the perimeter? Baker Mayfield's been playing fantastic. Played fantastic again last week. Was really, really sharp um, despite some receivers dropping some passes they normally don't drop. Mike Evans, <clears throat> but the Lions secondary has not been a strength for them all year long. In fact, it's been one of the worst in the league, despite them making, you know, tons of free agent signings and addressing that position in the draft. It hasn't necessarily worked. It's been better. It's been better, but it's not great still. And they need to play better on the back half because Tampa is really going how this receiving core is going. They're really going how Baker Mayfield is going. Um, their defense has been pretty consistent all year long. So if they can just, you know, contain those guys and not let those guys take over the game, then the Lions should be fine. They should be in business, home game for them. You know, control the line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball. Hopefully don't let the pressure get to Jared Goff. And then if their secondary can hold their own against Chris Evans, or sorry, Chris Evans, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, <laughs> mix their names up, call them Captain America, um, and David Moore who's been electric himself, had a really good play against the Philadelphia Eagles, then again, you should be all right. They should be able to take care of business, and they should beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I think that's all I have to say about this one. Yeah, I've, I mean, personally, I think the Lions keep rolling, but I do think it's going to be a pretty close game. Lions are currently favored by 6.5, if I didn't mention that earlier. Um, I basically have every underdog covering the spread, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think I do. Um, so I've got the Lions 27 to 23 in this one. Up next, Chiefs versus Bills. They're doing it again. This is the third time we're going to see these teams face off in the playoffs in the last few years. They tend to give us really, really good matchups. Obviously, in 2020, they met in the AFC Championship game. That game was in Arrowhead. 2021 divisional round game, that was the game. The infamous 13-second game where they changed overtime rules for that game. Um, well, not that game in particular, but after that game, I should say, they changed overtime playoff rules, um, playoff overtime rules. Either way, they're now meeting up for the third time, but this is the first time that it's not in Arrowhead. This one is going to be in the Bills Stadium. can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. I don't even think Arrowhead's called Arrowhead anymore. I think it's like Jihad or something. But either way, third time they're meeting in the playoffs. Mahomes um, first ever playoff road game which is fucking ridiculous when you think about it when you think about how many playoff games he's played in i think he's what like 11 and 3 in playoff games or something like that or maybe like 11 and 2 he's played this this is gonna be his 14th or 15th playoff game and it's his first one he's not playing at home that's absolutely insane um i don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making it out to be because let's be honest andy reed travis kelsey patrick mahomes those dudes are going to be ready no matter where they're playing it doesn't matter to them they're more than capable of beating the Buffalo Bills in their building. Of course, the question becomes, can they? Um, you know, this is definitely the, the the game I had the hardest choice predicting and making a score prediction for. But either way, the Bills have home field advantage. You know, the crowd's going to be loud and ready. The Chiefs are a very different team this year than in years past. Obviously, in years past, their offense has really led the way. Patrick Mahomes, you know, known for putting up ridiculous numbers, known for making crazy offensive plays. Don't get me wrong, there's still moments that they have offensively that have been great. 
individually, but as a whole, the identity of this team really has shifted. Their defense has really led the way this year. They have one of the best defenses in the entire league. Um, they've been excellent all year long. Pacheco playing a major part in their offense on the ground. Uh, he had a really big game for them in against Miami last week, whereas the Bills, they feel like more or less the same team we've known for the past couple of years. They kind of go how Josh Allen goes. Um, I'm curious to see how their pass rush fares against this Chiefs O-line, which has been fantastic. Uh, one of the big X factors in this one to me is Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey. Well, I guess Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, Joe Tooney as a trio against this interior defensive line, especially Ed Oliver of the Buffalo Bills. Ed Oliver's having himself a fantastic breakout season. Uh, Joe Thune, obviously an all-pro. Creed Humphrey, definitely an all-pro contention. But Trey Smith, not having the best year for himself. So curious to see how they deal with that there. And But beyond that, you kind of know what the Buffalo Bills' identity is. This team kind of goes how Josh Allen goes to get back to that. If he has a couple turnovers in this game, they're more than likely going to lose. Again, not rocket science here. If you lose the turnover battle, you're more than likely to lose the game. But if he plays at an elite level, they could and definitely should win this game. This is an extremely hard game to pick. Um, I was back and forth a ton. But the Chiefs, they've done it twice before in the playoffs. Um, obviously, the first one, they're not going to be playing at home. But they're just – I can't count them out. I just can't do it. And I know I'm going to get some hate for this. And there's a reason why the Chiefs are favored by three in this one. But I've got the Chiefs. 20 to 17. I think their defense does just enough. I think Josh Allen has some costly turnovers in this one. And that's really the difference in this game. Give me Chiefs 20 to 17. Up next, Ravens versus Texans. Texans nine and a half point favorites. I mentioned it earlier, but the Texans have had a fucking fantastic season. They crushed my expectations. They crushed pretty much everyone's expectations of what they were going to do this year. The future is extremely bright, but Baltimore is just different. This is just a different team. They faced off against the best team in football. They already played them in week one. That was Stroud's worst statistical game as a pro. Of course, it was his debut, so you can't take too much away from it. Um, but either way, I think they're going to be able to, you know, he's individually, Stroud will be much more comfortable in this one. I think they're going to be able to keep up better. Um, but don't get me wrong. I think the Ravens are going to take care of business after an extra week of rest. John Hallbach is going to have these guys ready to roll. Um you never know with the playoffs. And again, nine and a half points is a lot. So I will be taking Texans spread um, and weirder shit has happened. You know, this is a couple years. I'm thinking back a couple years when the Ravens were the one seed, Tennessee came into town and Derrick Henry just ran over those guys. You know, if CJ Stroud finds a way to win this game, I think it's going to be in large part because Lamar Jackson is making mistakes on the other side of the ball. Um, but frankly, I just think they're too good. They're playing at home. They're well-rested. Um, Houston has had a hell of a season, hell of a run, super impressive what they were able to do. But I think this is where the fairy tale comes to a close. Give me Ravens 30 to 24. With all that being said, guys, I hope you did enjoy this episode. Um, if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple music, be sure to follow me on there. Really do appreciate it. Be sure to go follow me over on Instagram. Hopefully going to be getting more active on there, especially if there are less uploads as far as podcasts go, then I definitely will be more active on there. So be sure to interact with me over there. I really do appreciate your time. Share this with your friends and family. Have a great rest of your day. Peace out.